Welcome to another edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. Today we thought we'd do something a little different. We are watching a current film that's in the theaters because we have that opportunity. It is Krampus, or Krampus. <laughs> or, or something, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, we went out today, we watched it, and we're here to report to you, in case you're looking at uh, spicing up your holiday season with something a little more horrific, Krampus. <laughs> What is that, Scandinavian or... I, I think uh, I read somewhere that it's Austrian. Um, Austrian. And the lore dates back, like, to 2000 BC. I think, you know, it, it definitely predates Santa Claus. But interestingly enough, it's only in probably the last three or four years that I ever even heard of Krampus or <laughs> however you pronounce it. Isn't that weird? I, and I... Same here. And I don't know if it's just the internet <laughs> and stuff right. that goes around, but you'd think something that old, you would at least know something about it and that somebody would have made a movie about it by now because it's so interesting right you would think by now but it's funny that all of a sudden whatever (laughs) brought it overseas and and kind of brought it to light for us it's really hit the ground running now i mean there is this big budget one but there are also several krampus movies that have come out uh over the last years low budget stuff that i have not (laughs) even really been all that interested in looking into but uh we've kind of been inundated a little bit you know this movie reminded me a little bit anyway of course this isn't a foreign film but there was that foreign film saint nick that i think was a uh, was it Norwegian? Movie? I think so. That sounds right. Uh, that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Would you put that in the same category as this? Was that kind of a Krampus sort of? I guess so. I think, and I haven't seen that movie. I've read about it. I think in that uh, film, it is actually just an evil Santa Claus. But it's you know, it's it's very much in the same vein. I mean, that's basically what Krampus is. That's how he's described uh, in the movie. He's Santa Claus's darker shadow. He's really the anti Claus. I mean, anti Claus. <laughs> You take. There you go. I I didn't have that one prepped. It just came to me. Uh, But you you know, you take all of the traditional elements that you know about uh, Santa Claus, and you flip them and make them dark, and there you have Krampus. Yeah, and I did see Saint Nick, and this movie reminded me a little bit of it. At least, obviously, the the evil Santa Claus coming through, the comedy aspects of it. It took it a lot more straight horror than this one did. Although, I I mean, this one is kind of a straight horror as well. It, it was, I don't know, it's kind of hard to define. Was it for you? Did you feel like the tone was almost all over the place? I don't know. I don't know if I would say the tone was all over the place. I went in with really, really high expectations. I've been looking forward to seeing this since they announced it because I knew that it was the same uh, writer and director who did Trick or Treat, which we've talked about. It's, oh. you know, one of my favorite Halloween movies. So I've really been looking forward to this, had, you know, really high expectations, and and I was not disappointed. Um, I thought that uh, it was scary. I thought that it was funny in places, but it was also really dark. Yes. You know, I was I was kind of glad that they weren't afraid to go there. You know, let it be a truly dark movie. You know, I was wondering, with Trick or Treat, they did that, so I guess there should be no real surprise that they went the same direction. But there were even points in the movie where I thought, oh, they're going to turn it around. Things are going to be okay. Something's going to be alright. And, uh, yeah, not well, so much. They set a certain tone in the very beginning, when it's all this slow motion, um, well, it starts with Black Friday, really. Yeah. <laughs> all those slow motion video uh, footage of uh, people tearing each other apart, trying to get to presents. People had at a school pageant who were fighting on the stage and parents who were running up to break their kids apart simultaneously while people in the audience are like right. like taping it for YouTube or something. Yeah. And like clearly some are horrified, some are getting a kick out of Definitely. it. Definitely. It runs through the gamut of all of the annoying, horrible things about the holidays that we do to each other and to ourselves. Well, and I thought that that was an excellent way to open it. First of all, you know, it opens kind of with this traditional screenshot of like a holiday wreath and the title comes up and it's, you know, in the festive lettering and everything and you've got this traditional Christmas carol playing in the background with this slow motion scene and it's funny because we see that in real life and to see it captured on film and to do it in a slow motion fashion it's funny, but at the same time the underlying truth of it is horrible. It really (laughs) I mean, it just goes to show you know, what we have made of Christmas you know, with the materialism and just 
just brutal savagery of like uh, Black Friday. It's it's crazy, and we've just kind of accepted it as our reality. But I really think that what the filmmakers were trying to do with this film was point out how we've kind of spoiled Christmas in a way. Yeah, <clears throat> it, it definitely sets off uh, that this is going to be simultaneously funny, but also perhaps cynical. Yeah, you know, you would expect a, sort of a Will Ferrell comedy, a Christmas comedy, to start out this way or something like that. It really sets that expectation, like, okay, maybe this is going to be one of those lighter horror films that I'm, you know, going to watch. It's going to be more goofball, and then it definitely, like you said, goes to darker places. It that was that was my feeling through this whole film was that I was being flipped around, my expectations were sort of being toyed with, because it comes right out of that into almost your stereotypical uh, holiday movie to the point where it was almost a spoof. Right. Really. Well, it, almost a spoof, but almost, you know, very similar to other things we've seen. It, the After the mall scene, our central family goes back home and they're preparing for their relatives to arrive to celebrate Christmas. And nobody's looking forward to the arrival of the relatives. It felt very much like the early part of Christmas Vacation. Yes. Um, (laughs) Even when the relatives finally show up, it's kind of this ominous thing. Nobody wants to let them in. And they come in and they're all obnoxious and throw everything into disarray right away. It had me thinking very much. Even the the, there's an uncle, uh, Howard... Howard um, is like spitting image of... Um, of Cousin Eddie. He really is. And uh, I mean, he was channeling him throughout. Yeah. You had Cousin Eddie there. Uh, it was a little bit of Home Alone, too, with the yeah. chaos of the house and the families who, in a very realistic way, don't like are annoying and don't really quite get along with each other. The son, Max, very much had that Macaulay Culkin, like he's the only one who sort of still has the Christmas spirit here. Right. In the, and that's really played up in the sense that he still believes in Santa Claus. And it's not that necessarily that he believes that Santa Claus is real, but it's like he's intentionally keeping the spirit of Santa Claus alive. Exactly. And for a young kid about, I don't know, what, 12 Maybe. or, or yeah, 11, 10, 12, something. something like that, uh, it's kind of an interesting attitude to take because... Yeah, I, I, I thought it was... <laughs> you know? I thought it was very much like Home Alone. In fact, up to the point where the scary things start to happen, it follows almost that exact pattern. You've got this one kid who's, you know, kind of feeling like the outcast in his family because everybody else is concerned about their own things. The dad's worried about work. The mom's worried about making everything look perfect in the house. And and this kid feels left out. And like in Home Alone, he kind of has this blow-up moment where he says... I hate you all. I don't care about Christmas anymore. And it's very reminiscent of what Macaulay Culkin does there. And then it just goes in a totally different It does. Place. <laughs> well, the kid's name is Max. He has a sister, Beth, yeah, uh, who's a little older sister. And she's sort of the teeny, you know, kind of in her teen adolescent years who has some boyfriend that she's Skyping with upstairs. Um, who's trying to convince her to come over to his house uh, to hit, come take some hits on the bong. Away from the family, Max has written this letter to Santa, right? Right. Uh, and it's interesting, Max's letter to Santa. Max's letter gets read by the uh, cousins. Mm-hmm. And the cousins are super annoying. Like, right. knowing this is a horror movie, I'm watching this, I just want these people to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You know that feeling where you're like, man, I can't wait for these people to get oh, it. Oh, well, because you know they're going to. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just so obnoxious. Yeah, and the it's like, you know, Max kind of still wants to believe, and he's got this German grandmother, uh, mm. o- Omi, and he and she kind of share this special bond where it seems like she's really trying to keep in the spirit, too, and, and you know, she's making all the homemade Christmas cookies, and he talks to, you know, the he talks to his parents and his sibling about how he knows that Santa Claus isn't really real, but he, he got in that fight at the nativity scene or the Christmas pageant because there was this jerk kid who was telling all the other little kids that Santa Claus wasn't real, and he says, you know, I just wanted to keep the magic for those little kids. I didn't want it to be spoiled for them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's and then the other family comes in. Merry Christmas! Yes, Merry Christmas. Oh gosh, I'm so glad you guys could oh, make it. You have no idea. Accidents all over the freeways and nothing mm. but crazy talk radio for <laughs> six hours. Hey. We brought you a little taste of home though, didn't we? Oh wow. Thank you. It looks wow. You're welcome. Come on, let it move it, move it. We don't have to keep the traffic jam going now. Let me help you. Oh, no, get that off. Uh, Thanks, Tommy. Sorry. Did you give the butler the night off, did you? Tom, don't worry. 
And it's the mom and the dad. And then they've got three kids or four. Four? Four kids. Four kids. Yeah, they're, I think, are twin girls. Um, that, are, that the dad uh, apparently wanted boys, and so he's pretty much um, tomboyed them up right. as much as possible, and that's kind of a running gag throughout it. Then there's, and they're the oldest, I think, then there's one younger boy um, <laughs> who doesn't speak at all in the movie, yeah, if I remember. He's sort of the goofy fat kid who just sits there and stares slack-jawed at everything that goes on, and that's, that's his shtick. And I know it couldn't have been the same kid because too much time has passed, but he reminded me so much of that kid from Trick or Treat who gets killed by the principal. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Very similar appearance. <laughs> and then uh, there's a baby, too. But they all sit down for their first dinner, and of course the family is, you know, kind of making critical remarks about the mom's food, and um, the the two <laughs> girls, Jordan and Stevie, have snatched, unbeknownst to Max, they've snatched his letter to Santa Claus, and they pull it out and they read it to try to humiliate him uh, at, at the family dinner. But what they read is actually so sweet and heartfelt and innocent. I was like, oh, man. Well, and what's interesting about it is it's not like your typical letter to Santa, like, Santa, give me this, Santa, give me that. It's like a prayer, Mm -hmm. right? He's... Santa is sort of this deity to him that sort of captures this Christmas spirit, this sort of, uh, I don't know, um, sort of like a secular god that he can pray to because in this letter he's he's written down not really what he wants, no. but just his thoughts and his feelings about his family yeah, it's and his not, wishes for them. Right, it's not material things. It's not, you know, I want a pony and I want a video game. He's asking for things for his family. You know, he asks for something. He asks that uh, he and his sister could spend time together the way that they used to. He asks that his parents could fall back in love with one another. The family that has come to visit, he he says, I know they've really been having a hard time. I, I wish that you could help them in some way over the next year. He really doesn't ask for anything for himself except for I just want Christmas to go back to the way that it used to be. And then at the end his very last thing is, and thank you for giving me Omi. Yeah. Um, so it's a really, really sweet, sweet letter. You know, it just kind of gets tarnished because then he's embarrassed and there's a fight and they kind of explode but for a moment there, it sort of gives everyone pause, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, and that's it's interesting this family that is so at each other's throats and really brutally. I mean, honestly, if I were to sort of fault the script for anything, I would say that maybe it was just a little over the top with how direct and pointed everyone's criticisms were for each other. There was really no diplomacy in this family at all. Um, and the aunt who comes in uh, and the uncle bring in their. It's, it's uh-huh. the aunt of the of of Max's mother, right? And she's just wants to hit the booze all the time, but she's extremely brutal. Oh, right! Like she doesn't even want to be there. Yeah, and she's played by Conchita Farrell, who uh, is hilarious. Conchata Farrell, excuse me. She's been in so much stuff. She's this large woman. What I know her most from, which is embarrassing, it's a terrible show. But Two and a Half Men, she was the maid <laughs> on Two and a Half Men throughout its whole run, and she plays that brassy, brazen character and does it really well. Here. Here. But, you know, you say over the top, but it, and I think that it was, but not so much under the top, over the top that it didn't kind of ring true. Sure. I mean, maybe you just have a much nicer family than mine. <laughs> <laughs> that could but, be. <laughs> you know, you know, sometimes you, there's that aunt, you know, or maybe the great aunt who's a little bit crotchety or something who will tell you that you're turkey's dry mm. or or you know the meal wasn't as good as when she used to make it or, or something along those lines it, it felt <laughs> it, and at some point after the letter incident the dad comes up to talk to max who is upset mm. and says you know why do we have to hang out with these people just because we share DNA. DNA. And he says, well, that's what holidays are about. You know, it's about spending time with people you try to be friends with, even though you don't have much in common. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he said, that's what family's about. Right, right. Yeah. And and there's a, there's a truth to that. You know, we, we love our families and we do want to spend time together, but sometimes it does pose challenges because you don't always share the same values or, or the same lifestyle or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting. It just highlights that point about the holidays where we feel this obligation to get together with our families. And it's usually the same year after year, and you see the same people. And as he points out, these are people we don't necessarily have much in common with except blood. Right. Yet we 
obligate ourselves to get together every year, even though it's perhaps going to be really painful. Well, and I think that that, and maybe I'm trying to read too much in it, but I really don't think so. You know, I think that was part of the message. We shouldn't feel obligated. You know, we should feel happy and glad to be able to spend time with the ones we love, even if we don't always agree. Uh, And I think that the fact that they don't appreciate one another and they don't cling to the holiday spirit, that's what gets them in trouble. You know, this this really feels like a a morality kind of movie. And it's funny, you know, in, in one of the opening scenes, somebody is watching It's a Wonderful Life. And I hadn't really thought about this so much, but I was reading an interview that uh, uh, Darty, what's his first name, the director, do you remember? I can't remember. Michael? Yeah, I think so. Michael Darty. Yeah, he was quoted as saying, A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life are nightmares that show you these broken characters who experience a darker side of divine intervention. They need to be scared straight. And I had never really thought about that before. I mean, A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life, really, you know, those are kind of nightmarish scenarios. And that's what happens here. You know, these people don't honor the spirit of Christmas and they're thrust into this nightmare to kind of teach them a lesson. Yeah, exactly. And it does a really good job of setting... I mean, it's pretty explicitly set up that way. I think after the the opening credit sequence we talked about, the very next thing you see is that black and white Ebenezer Scrooge and the guy saying, you will be visited by the ghost right. you know, the Jacob Marley. And it pans out. And, and the whole time I was thinking, okay, clearly it's it's foreshadowing. It's setting us up for what kind of movie this is going to be. And it was true in a way, right? Yeah. Um, it definitely played with your expectations there as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Right. Yeah, it was really interesting. So at that point, the kid goes upstairs and he does this sort of symbolic uh, gesture of ripping up the letter and throwing it out into the wind. And that's what sets everything off in motion. Right. It's like in Mary Poppins. The the pieces of his letter float off <laughs> up into the sky and all of a sudden these ominous dark clouds just start rolling in at a wicked pace and from then on then on it's pretty brutal you know we live in missouri and we've been through some pretty brutal winters but this is like i never want to see this kind of storm at our house it's it's taken across the whole neighborhood the lights are out pretty much the electricity's out for the rest of the movie the snow is so thick you can't see six feet in front Mm -hmm. of you they don't know what to do. They can't call anyone on their cell phones. They can't even get the radio. They're no TV. They're truly stuck there together, forced to try to get along or make the best of the situation. Right. At the same time, his older sister wants to go visit her boyfriend and see if he's okay. Because she's worried because she's texted him several times and he hasn't texted back and he just lives down the block. So she asked permission to go and the, the, you know, they're a little, the parents are a little skeptical, but they figure she'll be fine. It's just down the block, go on and then only be an hour and come back. And this is only maybe not even 15, 20 minutes into the movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't take very long to get to the scary stuff. And, uh, you know, she's walking down the street and it's presumably daytime, but a, just out of nowhere, it goes almost completely dark. Like it falls into the darkness of nighttime and Krampus appears. You know, we don't have to wait for the end of the movie to get a reveal. The sister turns and sees on the rooftop this kind of shrouded, horned figure. Um, and, And she's frightened and she turns around and starts running home. And Krampus starts running along the rooftops, leaping from rooftop to rooftop, chasing her. And I thought for sure, well, she has to get away. Yeah. She has to get, you know, this is the sister. And the sister has been nice. You know, what, I, what I'm what i thinking, yes. you know, the, the lore of Krampus is that he's kind of the anti-Santa Claus in that uh, Santa Claus rewards children who are good and Krampus punishes children who are bad. And I thought, well, the sister hasn't been bad. You know, she's been pretty nice up to this point. She'll be fine. Nope. No, yeah, <laughs> you really expect her to be the one to run back and say, hey, I saw something going out on. there, but she's the first one to get it. Yeah. And it's and it, not only does it uh, beat out that uh, Santa Claus Krampus lore, but it also is uh, totally against sort of your horror film lore. You know, this person who hasn't really done anything wrong. Right. In fact, she's been the only one who's sort of stood up for him and said, oh, don't worry about, you know, what's going on. Boom. Yeah, she's, she she's and that's it. She's gone. Uh, and so then, you know, it goes back to the house and the family starts to worry because night has fallen and the daughter hasn't come back. 
the the dad and the uncle decide that they're going to go out to look for her. And they go out in the snow, and it's very dark and very cold. They find the boyfriend's house, which is all in a shambles. Yes. And there's a uh, gingerbread man stabbed into the refrigerator with a butcher knife. <laughs> and the uncle makes some sort of comment like, whoever did this is a real psychopath or, or something <laughs> along those lines. Uh, and they notice that the chimney has been demolished. It seems like it's been destroyed from the inside, and the uncle speculates that it must have been a gas explosion, uh, but of course we know better. We sure do, because they have these giant hoof prints to also uh, right. contend with that are right down there at the bottom of this. They obviously get terrorized by the Krampus. The uncle almost gets pulled away, um, but uh, the dad, who at this point is really played against the uncle as the sort of, he's the Democrat, the uncle's the Republican yeah. in a sense. Right. Uh, the uncle's really all about his guns. He's all about... Uh, go on the gut, let's go out there, let's be bold. And uh, the dad is more of a, let's take this easy, let's let's be careful. And as often happens in films, the dad sort of gets his moment to use the gun right. to defend the uncle, which gives the uncle some, some respect for him, finally, and sort of shows the dad, hey, I can step up to the plate and actually come to it at that same level. That scene, I, I think I realized in that scene that this movie was going to be more than I expected, because... They didn't play it one note. You know, it wasn't just one monster. You know, mm. Krampus wasn't just acting alone. There were a lot. He had, you know, lots of little helpers. And um, <clears throat> when the uncle almost gets taken, it's almost like one of the sandworms in Tremors or something yeah. like that. Something going under the snow and grabbing people from underneath and pulling them away. And I thought, now I have no idea what to expect. You know, I, I have no idea where this is going to go. Uh, <laughs> and it's And it's, you know, pretty legit. They play it straight for the horror for the most part in those in those scary moments and it is pretty scary it is you know i was sitting here wondering because i actually had a friend of mine i told her i was going to see this movie and she said oh my five-year-old is is so all about krampus right now and i'm and i'm thinking oh you know do you think you're going to take him to see the movie and she said i don't know maybe i mean he's seen jurassic park those movies you know and people are sort of getting torn apart in there and i said well yeah but it's not like graphically they're getting torn apart. And honestly, it's not very graphic in this movie either. But there's a, a different tone in this film. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's Christmas time, sort of a sensitive time of year. And it's a family time of year. And what you're really seeing here is the ripping and tearing apart of a family. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like for a child, that would be rather disturbing. I think so too. You know, it... it... It might also go over kids' heads. You know, they may not be as disturbed by it as we are because I think we kind of know more about family dynamics and whatnot. Five years old is awfully young. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take my five. -year -old I no. This. You know, maybe your twelve-year-old, your thirteen-year-old, but even then, it's kind of scary. And I would be. I don't know. It would depend on the sensibility of your, ki of your kid. You know, I think I would have been the kind of 12 or 13-year-old who would have really thought this was really cool. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, but I think that, you know, the kind of deconstruction of all of these nice Christmas images and whatnot, that could be a little troubling for younger, a little bit less mature It kids. feels like the thing that could kind of stick with you for a little while, and it would also be the thing that you would make enough parallels with in life. Oh, you know, the next time you see a little toy robot or you see a toy teddy bear, you're baking your gingerbread cookies. All of these elements come in to sort of be evil in this as part of Krampus's helpers. I could see where it could spur some nightmares that, yeah. you know, that, uh, you know, if you're concerned about that sort of thing. You know, frankly, I think it could give me nightmares. <laughs> I mean, it's it's some pretty scary stuff. You know, now once the dad and the uncle get back to the house, at that point, it kind of becomes like a home invasion kind of thing. Mm. Um, because they're all just kind of trapped in the house. They don't know what's going on. At one point, they hear scurrying on the roof. Uh, and they try to explain it away as squirrels. But then there's a big, loud thud. And they still just kind of try to ignore it. But the grandmother, Omi, warns the father, make sure you keep the fire hot. Make sure you keep the fire hot. Um, but then, of course, the uncle says he'll take watch. He falls asleep. The fire goes out. And this hook comes down. The uh, <laughs> This was a great scene. Yeah, the hook comes down the fireplace. And it's, got, it's on a chain. And it's got jingle bells. And <laughs> tied to it, almost like tied up for ransom or something, is this gingerbread cookie. <laughs> and the little dopey kid who only eats all the time and doesn't talk wakes up first and he goes and he grabs the cookie and he takes a bite out of it 
And then all of a sudden, it comes to life. <laughs> it comes to life and it jumps on him and it wraps him all up in the chains and it pulls him up through the chimney and the family tries to stop him, but it gets him. It you does. know, it, it keeps getting people and it's... And, and, and you know, I expect this sort of moment where, oh, you still realize the kid's still alive, but he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's just been taken and, he, you know, they're going to eventually go back and sort of rescue all these kids from the Krampus. Right. But those, that never really comes. No. You, you realize, no, the Krampus has taken these people and they're never going to see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, is where the, to- the tone of the movie shifts a little bit. Probably you were uh, feeling a little bit of gremlins throughout oh, some definitely. of this. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Especially with, and the gingerbread men appear several times and, they have the giggly kind of uh, gremlin thing going on. We should have gone to my brothers. And and the tone was similar to Gremlins. Definitely the first one. You know, the sequel played for the comedy. Was, oh, yeah. But the original Gremlins, really, in, in parts, was, was genuinely quite scary and, and violent. And it really shocked a lot of parents. I know my mom uh, and dad, when they, you know, we I think we saw Gremlins in the theater. At least that's yeah. what I remember. And uh, it definitely shocked them a little bit that this movie, uh, was it PG even, maybe? I don't remember. Uh, I think it was listed as PG at the time, if maybe because PG-13 wasn't, around even, yet. wasn't even around. It really rode that line where I I know it probably gave a lot of kids nightmares. Oh, it scared me to death. I've told you the story. My parents took me to see it in that scene where the first gremlin escapes in the lab and, and the scientist reaches for the phone and the gremlin's claw comes out. I don't know how I, how old I was when I came out. I want to say like six, seven, and I screamed and jumped up in my chair and spun around backwards in my chair. It definitely does have that kind of feel. Uh, legit scary stuff. Legit scary, <clears throat> and even a little gross at times. Um, gremlins are actually probably grosser. Probably. I mean, you know, when the gremlins getting blown up in the microwave and they throw them into the, the blender, you know, and all those sorts of scenes. Uh, definitely not the kind of things you expect from a kid's movie. And here, you know, the victims really mostly just get taken away. You don't really see what happens to them. There is one point where another of, you know, Krampus's little tools is that he kind of <laughs> dropped a Trojan horse on their on their front porch the first day after the wish. It's this big Santa bag and they take it in the house and later on in the movie the toys burst out and they're demonic toys <laughs> and this um uh this giant clown jack in the box swallows one of the twin girls and that's really kind of the only time you actually see anything actually happen to to somebody and all you really see there is the girl's shoes going down into the gullet um for the most part other than that it's it's people just being dragged away uh, which i think is just as scary yes oh yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's it's interesting how they really pull no punches in these toys. Uh, you've got that uh, jack-in-the-box that you just described, that when it opens its mouth, its mouth kind of comes apart in sections yeah. and has these rows of teeth in there. It's pretty horrifying. Very. The teddy bear's got these giant rows of teeth and is pretty relentless in attacking. Um, There's a Christmas tree angel. Oh, that... my gosh. It's <laughs> like total demonic, like, puppet master kind of, uh, ch- you know, Bride of Chucky kind of, yeah. uh, kind of look to her. Very scary, but also kind of, isn't it something you'd like to have? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a it's a really cool design. I have to admit, yes. <laughs> As you said, did not pull the punches in the horror mm-hmm. department at all. But still, they inject quite a bit of comedy. I mean, the idea of this kid getting swallowed by this giant jack-in-the-box is pretty inherently funny. And then when you see this sort of lurching across the floor with it in its stomach, mm-hmm. I was even thinking back to... Uh, Oh, you know, Beetlejuice does it. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, when the giant uh, snake eats uh-huh. the whole tree, and you see the giant tree right. kind of in there. You know, this thing like tr- starts crawling through the vent work, the duct work in the house, and the- they send the dog after it. There's some moments where the dog is. It's kind yeah. of funny how this little dog, who's basically just been a log throughout the whole movie, suddenly jumps up and surprisingly dispatches one of the. Gingerbread Men. That was a great scene. Yes. Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> and uh, goes after him. Uh, some some really funny, cute, hilarious moments in the midst of this really pretty spooky stuff. And, and there are some uh, funny little one-liners just kind of dropped here and there. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But uh, they are funny, and there definitely are funny moments. But I would say that this is one of, you know, the comedy here 
is as dark as I've seen it in mm. quite a while. I mean, it's not, it doesn't bring you out of the scariness. No. I, I, there were times when we laughed out loud, um, some funny stuff, but it doesn't break the tone of, uh, of, of the darkness. There's some subtle funny things in there, too. I, one of my favorite parts and you know, is, is when they're like, we got to board up the windows and stuff. And the next scene, they are, they're there. This middle-class couple in this almost like McMansion of a house uh-huh. suddenly has access to all these giant boards I of know. varying lengths and, and stuff. And it looks like barn wood or something. Like, it's not like two-by-fours. It's the, the old weathered stuff. I, I kind of wondered about that, Where did they pull this crap from? The basement? But right. it's what you'd expect in a movie like this. Right. You know, it's very Night of the Living Dead-ish. Mm-hmm. They have these random scraps of wood up there uh rather silly uh but you know i chuckled at that yeah i liked it it didn't bother me at all no no i thought you know as as far as tone goes like you said earlier a little uneven i don't think so you know i i feel like they got exactly what they were going for and it resonated with me Mm. i liked it a lot well people just get dispatched we can't go anywhere it's too dangerous you got it howard how much ammo do you have couple shells still loaded, maybe a dozen in my pocket. Why? I think our best bet is to stay put. Board up all the doors and windows. And as soon as the weather breaks, we'll go find her. I told you we should have gone to my brother's. Sure, Howard. Christmas on a pig farm. Jesus was born in a barn. And we should talk about the o- Oma. Oma? Oh, oh, yeah. I don't Omi? know. Omi? Yeah, Omi. We should probably talk about Omi for a second because she's the one who really lays out the Krampus legend to them. Right. After the whole hook in the fireplace thing, they obviously know something messed up is going on. And uh, Omi, who has only spoken German up to this point, speaks English. And that's one of, you know, the little, <laughs> uh, yeah, Conchata Farrell, the, the aunt says, English. I knew it. <laughs> um, pretty funny. But then she relates this story. And oh, my God, was this one of my favorite parts mm. of the movie. They go to this flashback sequence from Omi's childhood and it's all done in claymation and it's gorgeous. Yes. I was thinking if they had chosen to do the whole movie in this style, I would have been absolutely thrilled. Oh yeah. It was it was amazing. And the movie would have lended it well to that style actually. Mm -hmm. You know? And again, a little bit more of that nightmare before Christmas aspect kind of coming in. Mm -hmm. And what I thought was neat about that was they even played with that style. It was interesting that the girl, uh, Omi, in the, st- in the story was pretty three-dimensional. Uh-huh. And all the adults in her world were these dark, um, two-dimensional, almost paper cutout figures yeah. that were coming in in that 3D world. Right, was- and then even the Krampus, her story was that she had gone through something very similar to Max, where you know their village had fallen on hard times, her parents were struggling, and eventually she just, you know, she tried to hold on to the spirit of Christmas, but eventually she just gave up. She gave up hope Uh, and the exact same thing happened to her krampus came took all of her family and left her uh, she says as a reminder never to lose hope and the spirit of christmas Uh, and of course that's important because it's exactly what's going on here yeah and and because she's been through it before she can kind of give us the exposition and let us know what's going on even though it really doesn't need much explanation no you kind of know what's going on you're just wait actually you're just waiting for her i mean you're you're just like is this the time when she's going to come in and tell (laughs) us about the Krampus legend wait a minute Nope, not yet. Well, she's remarkably silent through all this until she absolutely needs to be. But he leaves her a bell, the Uh bell that says Krampus written on it. Mm -hmm. And that that is his token to her. And and she pulls that out. Right. And they all kind of stare at it. So, uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. Uh, It's like uh, the Polar Express sort of flipped on its head. Yeah, kind of. Right. Yeah. I mean, the like you said, the little girl. Umi, she had kind of a Coraline kind of look. It was that kind of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the whole thing was visually cool. I, I feel like I may be repeating myself, but I think I got off on a tangent. The Krampus himself is just in silhouette, too. He looks kind of like a, a black uh, paper cutout in front of, you know, this lurid fire and you can just kind of see his eyes and as he's walking out one of the eyes winks at her and so she's left she's been through this before yep so she tells them this and the the father they basically sort of decide we're up against uh you know, something we can't deal with here in our house, we need to get out of the house, <laughs> which may or may not be the smartest move. That I can't remember if that came before or after the elves broke in. That was before, and, and it was funny because they decide we have to get out, but as soon as they open the door, they know they're not going anywhere because <laughs> as soon as all of this started, snowmen started popping up in the yard, these very kind of creepy-looking snowmen, and... Uh, my understanding was that these snowmen were representative of the victims. Is that accurate? Oh, you know, I didn't think about it. Because that. there was only one at first, and then the 
they found, um, or I think the the daughter, right before she was dispatched, didn't she find a, a guy killed in his truck or something That's like that? That's true. And then they were like three. Oh. And and then she was attacked, and then another one appeared. And then I know when the little boy got pulled up the chimney, and this is when they tried to go outside. The his dad Howard walks out and sees a smaller snowman. Yes, and says, "Oh, little Howie." And then they see these dark, creepy uh, shapes giggling and running back and forth behind the snowman, and they they just have to go back in. Like, <laughs> scrap that plan. Forget that. <clears throat> and then uh, eventually the, there's a moment where they turn around and go, oh, God, elves or something, and the, the elves burst in through the window. Oh, God, and the elves are terrifying. They're in, you know, they're in rags. Um, they're not tiny. You know, they're they're kind of like short-statured, but not tiny. And, and they have masks, masks on. So you don't even know what these look like. Right. And you're pretty much left to your imagination, which was a good call. You know, it was just like keeping the Krampus sort of in silhouette, kind of in the distance, seeing bits and pieces of him until the very end was a, another very good call. I agree. And, you know, one of the things interesting that I read was... Um, in an interview with the director, the director said something about keeping some of Krampus's nature a secret. And the interviewer said, but you show him full on at the end of the movie. I mean, we see what he is. And uh, the director said, oh, well, that's a little secret I'm keeping. I, I can't say anything about it just in case there's a sequel. It looked to me... Like, Krampus was wearing, wearing a, mask, a mask, too, which is very reminiscent of Trick or Treat with Sam. You know, mm. you kind of assume all the way through the movie that that burlap sack head is his head, but at the end, he takes it off, and he's got kind of this demonic alien uh, look. It made me think that that may be the case with Krampus, too, and maybe, hopefully, that these two worlds, you know, exist in the same world. The, oh, the Trick or Treat nice. world and the Krampus world are kind of... Um, the same universe. Sort of a holiday uh, horror yeah. universe. <laughs> That'd be great. Next, we got the rabbit Easter bunny. You know, <laughs> sure. like, just keep bringing these characters in. That would be nice. It was It was a good choice. It was a very good choice. And they... The elves drag out the the great aunt, the great aunt who comes in and and nobody really liked anyway. But she kind of stepped up to the plate after a little while. <laughs> yes, there was a fun moment where she got to have some shotgun action, and yeah. it was fun and funny. But right after that, she's gone. You don't totally hate her. And from there on, the movie really goes pretty quickly by. Uh, the father breaks out his map and says, we've got to get here to the mall. And that's where I thought, I thought, oh, there's going to be a showdown at the mall. It's going to make another sort of statement on the holiday, you know, consumption and all that. No, it doesn't really. Nope. <laughs> they don't get very far at all. Nope. And this was, to me, the scariest part of the movie. When the family, and it's really, we're now sort of down to what I'll say the good father <laughs> and the good mother and uh, Max, who we've been following out through this whole thing, one of the two sisters uh, who's left, and the uh, aunt. Is the uncle there as well? Yeah. You know, I don't remember when he goes. That's, I, I think he's still there at that point. I think so. And uh, they all basically join hands and, and try to brave through. The idea is to get out to the snowplow, start the snowplow, and drive out to this mall and hole up there where presumably they'll be away from their dangerous house and maybe be in a place where they have more resources and, and are better able to fight. And Krombus just picks them off. Right. One by one, almost in quick succession. Just this vision of... And again, we're back to sort of the sand person, mm -hmm. uh, Krampus or, or helper or whatever, right. that just sucks these people under one at a time. So Max is sitting here and he's watching each member of his family slowly get pulled away. And they say their goodbyes to each other, essentially. I mean, the father, the mother's just sort of standing there like she knows what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And she says, I love you. And boom, she's pulled under the snow. Right. And the father like sort of turns around and faces it sort of steadfast, closes his eyes, poop, he's pulled under. Um, right. And it's just down to Max, who, <laughs> for this kid who's probably never been behind the wheel of a car, uh, has got to try to start the snowplow. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's no way he's going to get out of this. Um, and it's down to him. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. It happens so fast. You know, people are getting picked off left and right throughout. You know, there's never really any lull. But then right there at the end, when they realize they have to leave the house because the elves have attacked, Krampus is coming, like he's coming down the chimney. They have to get out. And, and from then on, you're right. It's just boom, boom, boom. They are just gone until Max is the last one. And I thought that scene was interesting, too. Even right up to before they left the house, 
I feel like early on in the movie, somebody had said something about part of Christmas being about sacrifice. Yes. <clears throat> that, was said, that was said repeatedly in there. Yeah. Uh, the, think, the sacrifice <clears throat> of giving. Right. And, uh, in fact, the grandmother, when she's talking about the Krumpus legend, sort of ends it when she talks about the bell and says, he left the bell with me to remind me of the sacrifice of giving. You know, which is an interesting take on giving that you don't think about. You think about giving, warming your heart, and when you give to people, uh, it, it, it gives back to you. But here they're highlighting the fact that when you give, you're giving something up. You're right. sacrificing something. And that is a take that you rarely hear, especially in a holiday movie. When it's supposed to, everything you do is supposed to warm your heart. Right. But, it, you know, it kind of makes sense. You know, that is the true spirit of giving. You know, it's, it's uh, you know... Well, um, you're talking about, you know, it would be selfish to give just because you're going to right. receive good feelings there afterwards. Go. That's yep. exactly what I meant. And, and there at the end, you kind of get a sense of not even necessarily that these people were such bad people that they need some kind of absolute redemption, but you feel like they get a little bit of redemption in realizing that they have to sacrifice. Umi, when everybody else runs out, Umi stays behind and locks herself in and she's going to try to confront the Krampus herself. You know, the little boy says to the dad who's trying to get her to come out, you know, she she wants to help. She's going to face she's going to face him head on. Um, and she does, but it doesn't work and then you know when they're running away and the sand monsters are coming the dad is trying to hold them off he's got this shotgun but he realizes he's not going to be able to hold them off and so he turns to the mom and tells her go take them and go get in the car and drive and don't look back and she's reluctant but she goes you know and that's kind of his sacrifice and then as they're running to the truck the mother makes sure that she gets as many of the kids in the truck before she gets in and she's able to get Max and the one remaining twin girl, she's able to get them in there. And yeah, she kind of looks into Max's eyes and says, I love you as she is grabbed and taken away too. So, you know, the adults here and they just go boom, boom, boom. They've kind of sacrificed themselves to try to save the kids even though ultimately it, it doesn't work out. No, and it's a very bleak moment. I mean, to me, that was just so bleak. And that was where I didn't expect this movie to go, was really to the heart of... It was a very depressing thing. I, I don't know if you felt the same way, but I, I, to me, that was the core... You know, when you've reached sort of the core of my heart, the core of my emotions, and where you've been taking me through this film the whole time, wow, they're not going to outrun this thing. They know they're not going to outrun this thing, and they just give themselves to it. Well, and there is... You know, I think as can kind of be expected with this kind of movie, kind of a twist at the end. And I feel like this is the point. We've already said a lot about what yeah, happens. Boy. But at this point, if you haven't seen the movie, which I hope you haven't listened to this without seeing the movie first <laughs> anyway. But if you haven't and you don't want to know ultimately how things turn out, turn it off here. Because this is really kind of the turning point. Yeah, we have to talk about this. Right. So at this point, it is straight out, you think anyway, <laughs> oh, okay, we're looking at a retelling of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Where Krampus and all of his cronies are, he has his sleigh, his sort of demonic sleigh. Yeah, with which is nightmarish. Reindeer. Yeah, the oh gosh, everything about it. I mean, like I said before, it just takes everything that you think about Santa Claus and flips it and makes it dark and ugly and scary. And that sleigh with those beasts that are, I guess, his his reindeer, um, very, very frightening. And the, the creepy elves crawling all over it, um, his demonic toys in the bag in the back, super, super scary. He's got the the girl that, you know, he was in the car truck with, obviously tied up in the back. He, basically, you get the sense that he's ready to usher all their souls away. Right. And uh, uh, Krampus walks up to Max and looks at him, and you're thinking, oh, is he going to get him too? And he hands him a present, and his present is this, the bell. It's the bell, and it's wrapped in the shreds of his Christmas letter. Yes, it's, <clears throat> and he, he just drops it on the ground in front of him, like, here you go. Right. And you did this. This is all you're doing. He picks it up, and... Krampus starts to walk away, and he looks at it, and he said, "He looks at him, which is exactly what you think is going to happen. I want my family back, and he right. rejects it. Right, throws it on the ground. The crown starts to crack open into this big pit going into hell, mm -hmm. you know. And then, and, and you're thinking, oh, okay, you know, it's going to swallow Krampus. What's going to happen? You're really guessing through this whole time, yeah. but you sort of think you have it figured out, right? And you know what I'm thinking is, okay, 
he's he's gonna give us the relief you know uh and, and what max does is he says you know i don't want this he says i just want my family back just give me my family back um and he doesn't really get any response and so when he doesn't get any response he says okay then take me instead right. um and you think it's going to be you know this kind of act of ultimate uh, sacrifice. sacrifice for him and it 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 seems for a second that Krampus might be considering it. You know, Max is pleading with him, please, please, I, I take my wish back. I, I, I want my family back. Um, and you think for a moment that it's going to be that movie. Oh, because it delves right into the cheesiness of what that is in all the movies. He cries a tear, and Krampus's big boy finger sort of wipes his tear away. And, and at that moment, I was starting to get a little disappointed. I was like, well, I guess it had to end this way, but yeah, I've seen that before. Right. <laughs> and then he just laughs. He turns yeah. around, throws his, the, the, the remaining girl into the pit, and then picks him up. Uh huh. Dangles him over that pit, drops him in, and what were you thinking? I kind of expected what happened next to happen. Me too. Because it's Scrooge, right? Right, right. You know, it's that last thing where you know, in A Christmas Carol, the it looks like the third ghost, who is the ghost of Christmas future, represents death. Um, it, it seems like Scrooge is going to meet his demise, but then he wakes up. And it's Christmas morning, and everything is fine. Like, nothing ever happened. You know, the, the house is restored. Everything is, you know, it's bright, sunny, beautiful day outside. And he goes downstairs to find his family intact, seemingly unaware of everything that happened. And friendlier than ever. Friendlier than ever. You know, Umi's passing out hot chocolate. Still, you know, there's a, a little bit of little goofiness. Touchy, and but... A little you know, a little ribbing from the cousins and whatnot. But it's kind of all in good fun. You know, it's, it's that thing where Christmas morning you do kind of just let go of whatever it is you know if you've got a grudge or whatever it's Christmas just enjoy it <laughs> yeah. and it seems like that's uh, what it's going to be and at that point I was thinking I get it I understand why they would do this yeah. um, because you know it is it, it would be really dark to have it end with them just all being plummeted into hell I thought you know if you know they went for a PG-13 movie. They could have gone for the hard R. Trick or Treat Mm -hmm. was a hard R. They could have gone for it, but they didn't. I was thinking maybe they're considering their audience and thinking, we don't want to end it on that note. Oh, and it reinforces the point that they've been hammering into your head this whole time. It reinforces the cause and effect, the dishonor Christmas and this happens, but just like Scrooge sort of dishonors the spirit of Christmas, that Christmas is a time for second chances. Right. You know, and so that's You've learned your lesson, you get a second chance to make things right. And then... (laughs) And then he opens, somebody hands him a gift, a little gift, uh, opens it up, and inside it's the Krampus bell. Mm -hmm. And he pulls it out, and he looks at it, and suddenly there's this really creepy, everybody starts kind of looking at it like, they all know what this is. Yeah, and you can see the memory or the realization wash over their faces, and they remember what happened the night before. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to pan out. <laughs> quick, quick pan out, and you find that uh, their happy holiday home is now in a snow globe in Krampus's lair. Amidst hundreds and thousands, probably, of other right. snow globes of uh, similar things. And that, uh, that happy ending just flies right out the window. <sighs> do you think it worked? Did it work? I do. Oh. I do. <laughs> um, because, like, you know, we, you've seen that before. You've seen the, oh, it was all a dream, and then, no, not really, it wasn't all a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not like it's a, a unique device. But it worked for me. And, I, you know, as I was coming to terms with, okay, I get why they did this, then when they pulled it back to the dark, I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to end. You know, not only, this... Yes. Not only did they honor the spirit of Christmas, they honored the spirit of Krampus mm-hmm. <laughs> with this film. Yeah. It, it was a great way of, I thought, put, taking your sort of traditional holiday tale, telling it in what at times, it was a very straightforward, cookie-cutter holiday film. Well, and that's what he was going for. That's you know, In an in interview, the director said, I felt he, he had been fascinated with Krampus since he was a little kid. Or the idea of an, Engl- uh, an evil Santa Claus had fascinated him since he was a kid. And he'd always wanted to make a movie 
but he could never really come up with the right approach. And, and eventually he kind of shelved it for a while and went with Trick or Treat. And then after Trick or Treat, and that was a success, he decided to come back to it. And he thought really the only way to do this is to make it a true traditional Christmas movie. And in many ways it is. It's oh, yeah. very reminiscent of other Christmas movies. And it makes its point. It just makes its point in a sort of bleak way. Mm-hmm. which is what it should. I, I agree. I love this movie. <laughs> like I said, I went in with uh, with high expectations, and, and they were met. It's maybe not as fast-paced and madcap as Trick or Treat, but it's 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 well paced, um, and the acting is good. Yes. You know, especially the the main parents who are played by Adam Scott and Tony Collette, and Tony Collette's a, a brilliant actress anyway. Um, I was kind of surprised to see her attached to this film, but I think they must have been aware of the quality of filmmaking that this director is capable of, and they you know they 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 feel like a real family. You know, mm-hmm. the couple feels like a real couple. In the beginning, it's a little bit strained, but as they kind of go through these trying times together, you really feel the connection between them and feel the affection and love uh, between them. And and the same thing with Max, the kid. You know, he seems very genuine. Um, nothing is forced. Even the funnier characters, you know, it's it's well played. It's well acted. I just thought it was... And, God, the cinematography was oh. gorgeous. Oh, man. The colors, the lighting and everything, the contrasts uh, of the really bright and happy Christmas at the beginning with it's full of colors, very saturated look. Look, mm-hmm. um, very well lit to the interiors when the lights are out you still have this sort of warmth coming from the fire and coming from the candles but there's a lot of the cold blue in the shadow too it starts to creep in and then of course when they're outside it's just completely bleak it's, but what a challenge to shoot in a snowstorm right, kind of environment think. and atmosphere uh, to, to, to make that look the way it does and to make it look so it still looks so beautiful it it's almost otherworldly. Yeah. In the way that Trick or Treat was. Yeah. You know, uh, it's like this is a, supposed to be a small American town, but this small American town doesn't really exist. This is like your idealized version yes. of this small American town. Uh, in a sense, this is sort of your idealized version of a Christmas movie, um, the way it was shot. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I just, it seems like so much care. And that's the same thing we said about Trick or Treat. It, mm. it really seems like everybody involved wanted desperately for this to be a success and for me it was a hundred percent i mean i would i would watch and will you know watch this again um i i have a feeling that this will definitely get a repeat in my holiday rotation from now on oh definitely in fact i think i'm gonna take my family to see this when i go visit them in a couple weeks yeah yeah my dad would love this oh gosh my dad too <laughs> i invited my dad to to come with this today oh, but he... he he was unavailable he was visiting my sister out of town so oh what a shame kind of a bummer <laughs> well we've obviously gushed over this film please go out and <laughs> And uh, check it out if you get the chance this holiday season and celebrate it in a slightly different way. Yes. <laughs> Thank you again for listening. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Check us out on Facebook. We are actually now up on iTunes. iTunes and Stitcher, if you want to subscribe to us, if it's easier for you to get your podcasts on your iPod or some other device, perfect way to do it. As always, you can still go to our website and stream it or just download the MP3s yourself. We will be back again next week with another Christmas-themed horror film. Until then, I'm Todd. I'm Craig. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas from Two Guys in a Chainsaw. With those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call.